invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, as we continue our sermon series on Sunday mornings through Exodus, looking this morning at pages, uh, sorry, pages, verses 16 through 25. For those of you who didn't bring a Bible, uh, on page 61 in the Pew Bibles, In front of you, you can find our passage, Exodus 19, beginning in verse 16. Israel, as we have seen the last couple weeks, is at Mount Sinai next week, Lord willing. Uh, We're going to see the beginning of God giving the uh, Ten Commandments. But chapter 19 is about preparation Uh, for that. And today in our passage, we see God coming down in glory uh, to meet with Moses as the mediator of God's people. So let's look at this passage together, Exodus 19, beginning in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and and come up, bring Aaron with you. But... Do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. Our God, we ask that you would open our eyes this morning, that we might see glorious things in your word, especially that we might see you, O God, in your glory. As you revealed yourself to the Israelites of old, reveal yourself today to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Think back to a time when you have been in the presence of a famous person. You've been able to meet or spend time with a a famous, perhaps powerful uh, person. I remember my dad coming home uh, glowing one day when he was able to 
shake Ronald Reagan's hand. That was a special uh, moment uh, for him. My uh, most special moment was when I was a kid. I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. It was uh, where down in Florida, of course, baseball spring training happened down there. And in St. Pete, both the uh, um, New York uh, Mets and the St. Louis Cardinals um, trained. And it was easy access to a lot of players. I, I, I have a lot of autographs from well-known players uh, I have about seven autographs of one of my fav- favorite players uh, growing up, uh, second baseman for the Mets called Felix Mion. You probably don't even know who that is, but anyhow. But my most memorable, uh, my most memorable uh, meeting of someone uh, was when I was 11. I went, was there with a friend, and we walked in, and sitting there in the stands was. Uh, a man by the name of Casey Stengel. Not sure how many of you know Casey Stengel. Casey Stengel was one of the best managers of all time. Hall of Fame manager, won seven world championships with uh, the New York Yankees. And so I'm looking at Casey Stengel, and all of a sudden my friend walks over to Casey Stengel and says, Hello, Mr. Stengel. And he responds, hello, Randy. It turns out this friend's dad, who was a dentist, was Casey Stengel's dentist, who lived part of the year in St. Petersburg. And so I have a picture sitting on the lap of Casey Stengel. That was uh, one of my great memories. Well, that was nothing quite like Moses' experience of being in the presence of Almighty God. Here God comes down in power and glory onto Mount Sinai to meet with his people, but in particular to meet with them through their mediator, and that is Moses, who is going to be accompanied by Aaron. And the first thing we see in our a passage this morning of God is the awesome presence of God, the awesome presence of God. Look with me at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And remember last week, first of all, on the morning of the third day, uh, the people were told to prepare for on the third day God was going to come down. Uh, This was a time for cleansing. It was a time for washing of their clothes. It was a time for reflection. It was a time for uh, warning, in fact. If you look back at verses 12 and 13 uh, that we saw last week, uh, God says, You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. 
We're not to touch or go near the mountain. But it was a time for preparation. Why? They were going to meet with God. They were going to meet with a holy God. And the people were not to go into God's presence. And here we see God revealing himself, but also concealing. Both revealing and concealing. He reveals some of his glory, some of his attributes. We see here the the thunder and the lightning in verse 16. He comes, in other words, in a storm. We also see in verse 18, there's a There's an earthquake, if you will. The whole mountain trembles greatly. This shows God's awesome power as he comes down on the mountain. As Matthew Henry puts it, this is meant to strike awe in the people as God comes down to meet with them. In verse 16, we also uh, see that he comes down in a thick cloud. This is part of storm imagery. It's also associated oftentimes with God in the Bible, that God comes in a cloud. Again, we see a mystery because clouds both reveal God's presence and conceal God's presence as well. And we also see here in verse 16 a very loud trumpet blast. A trumpet would be declaring, proclaiming the coming of of a king. A king is coming when the trumpet blows. With the result, as we see at the end of verse 16, all the people in the camp trembled. This is not just a godly fear and reverence. They are literally trembling at the terrible majesty of God. In fact, we don't see it here in the book of Exodus, but the book of Hebrews tells us that Moses said, I tremble with fear in the presence of God, the mediator himself. Verse 17 We read that Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Again, not beyond the limits set. We see that in verse 21. God tells Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. So they're not to go beyond the limits, but they go and come close They come to the limits and take their stand at the foot of the mountain. And verse 18 gives us more of the description. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Smoke and fire, of course, this is how Moses, uh, God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. The writer to the Hebrews again tells us our God is a is a consuming fire. Fire in Scripture points to purity, but it also tells us that that God is dangerous. He's dangerous. When we don't treat God as holy, there are consequences. 
The smoke points to the mystery of God's presence. Again, it reveals, yet also conceals. We see smoke in Isaiah chapter 6 when God appears to and calls Isaiah. We hear the words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we see here the whole mountain trembled greatly, the text tells us here. One commentator writes this about this phrase, it was not just the human beings who were overwhelmed. The whole mountain trembled greatly. Here's a terrifying sight. God in his awesome holiness. Brothers and sisters, God is dangerous. That's the first thing we need to see. God is dangerous. The writer to the Hebrews Hebrews 10.31 says it is a a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God wants us to reflect on the picture of his awesome, terrifying holiness. But he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. Remember that this is in the context of God's covenant and in the context of God's grace. So secondly, we see an invitation to enter God's presence. An invitation to enter God's presence. Look at verses 19 and 20. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder... Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The trumpet again is announcing God's presence. It's louder and louder, seemingly, because God is drawing nearer and nearer, and Moses and God enter into a dialogue here with one another. It's interesting because verse 19 seems to indicate that Moses initiates it. Moses spoke and God answers him. We don't know what was said, but later in the book of Exodus, two times, we read that Moses, or God spoke with Moses face to face. God here calls Moses to the top of the mountain into his very presence, as it were. Later in this passage, verse 24, he's also going to instruct Moses to bring Aaron as well, and Aaron will go up as well. But that's it. Moses and Aaron, the only ones who who go up. As we'll see, there are warnings again against others going up. Moses comes, why? Because he is the covenant mediator. Aaron, we don't know why, but perhaps because of his future ministry as the high priest in Israel. Only he, only Aaron as high priest, 
who enter the Holy of Holies and then only once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of his people. What a striking picture this is. Israel's, the Israelites stand fenced off. Only Moses and Aaron approach. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what a privilege we have to approach the living God. What a privilege we have in worship and the Lord's Supper, especially in prayer. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, which Hebrews reflects much on this these verses and this pa- these passages in the book of Exodus, the, the context is of Christ, our great high priest. With regard to prayer, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might, may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And of course, this comes for us only in Christ, our covenant mediator, our high priest, and only, of course, in the new covenant. What a privilege we have to pray, to come to the throne of grace, to lay our requests before God. We know that we are are heard in Christ. What What a privilege. Do we take advantage of it? Do we take advantage of it? Look with me, if you, if you will, at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Notice what, what Jesus says as he exhorts his people to pray. He says, In verses 7 and 8, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it it will be opened. Notice here we've got these these three verbs uh, to, to ask, to seek and to knock. Now first of all, these are all present tense in the Greek which means Continually. God says, Jesus says, ask continually, seek continually, knock continually. And there are different verbs that are stressing different aspects of praying. Ask, the Greek word here, carries with it the sense of humility. We do come humbly. To seek has the sense of pursuit, pursuing God, pursuing his will. And knock has the sense of holy boldness as we come before the throne of grace. All three of those are aspects, are prayer, are, are aspects of prayer. And then we have this promise of receiving, of finding, of the door being opened for us. This is an encouragement for us to pray. 
Calvin wrote about this passage, nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. What more can excite us, encourage us to prayer than to know that we will be heard by God? Third and finally in our passage this morning, we see a warning about entering God's presence. We've seen an invitation to enter God's presence, but we also see in our passage this morning in Exodus 19, a warning about entering God's presence. Again, look at verse 21 and 22. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And notice the exchange here. Moses responds in verse 23. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Moses' response, he's, he's kind of irritated. God, I've I've already told them that. Go back and read, God, verses 12 and 13. I've already told them not not to come up. You know, I repeated things to my kids a lot, kind of the same thing. You know, your parents, you probably did the same things. They're important things. And, yeah, you probably got the same response. Dad, you told us that before, over and over. So Moses is doing here. God, you told, you told me that already. I told them that already. How does God respond? Well, he tells them again, verse 24. The Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. One more time, for good measure. important that they get this message. Why would they break through? Possibly out of curiosity. Doug Stewart says in his commentary, possibly to see God up close. Maybe to see what the gods know. Of course, Eve was there walking with God and she fell to the temptation of Satan. Maybe the Israelites thought, we've washed. We've washed our clothes. We've prepared. We're good enough to enter into the presence of God. The point here is even our best efforts at self-sanctification do not make us fit for God's presence. As Alec Motier puts it, the holiness of God is such that no human self-preparation can ever satisfy God's demands. Our holiness, whatever level we can achieve in this life, can never match God's. Our best 
efforts, our best efforts, do not make his presence any less dangerous. Phil Riken says it is imperative that Israel approach God the right way. And that is through a mediator. The Moses, the mediator, could go. For Christians, of course, we have a better mediator. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We ended last week, I ended last week by reading from Hebrews chapter 12. Let me end this week by looking together at Hebrews chapter 12. So turn with me there if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 18. Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 18. Which describes in many ways this picture we've been looking at in uh, Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We see two mountains, Sinai implied, Mount Zion referred to specifically the heavenly Jerusalem, or in other words, we see the two covenants the old and the new covenant, and the contrast of fear versus joy and confidence of these two mountains, these two covenants. Here in verses 18 and 19, we we see a description of of Sinai. In verse 19, it said, the, the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. We don't see that in Exodus 19, but when we get into Exodus chapter 20, we're going to see that the, the, the Israelites say to Moses, they plead with him, you speak to us, Moses, because we don't want to hear this, this voice, this scary voice anymore. Verse 21, again, as I said earlier, Moses said, I tremble with fear. Again, it's not in Exodus, and yet Moses himself is is still fearful. And again, the law is good. It's a good gift from God, but the point here is that the law alone does not save. Reliance on the law, reliance on our good works, in other words, Reliance on being a good person, in other words, 
does not save. We're not saved by what we do. It only leads to condemnation. God is lawgiver. God is judge, or as the writer to Hebrews will say later at the end of this chapter, he is a a consuming fire, verse 29 says. What we need is a mediator. And that's what we see in verses 22 to 24 here in Hebrews chapter 12. Look in particular at verses 23 and 24. It says, we come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in, in heaven and to God, the judge of all. Notice that he's still called the judge of all here. God is the judge. We need to understand that. We need to uphold that. But notice in verse 24, unto Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was the mediator under the old covenant. Here is Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The mediator who intercedes. The mediator who stood in our place and took our punishment on himself. As the hymn writer puts it, in my place, condemned, he stood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. He goes on to say this, this word, these words at the end of verse 24, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the blood of of Abel? God said to Cain, who killed his brother, brother Abel, that the blood of Abel cries from the ground. What does that mean? The blood of Abel cries for, for justice, for judgment. But what does Jesus' blood cry? Forgive him. Forgiveness. Salvation. Life. That's what the blood of Jesus cries. He perfectly kept the law. He took God's punishment on himself on the cross. Apart from Christ, there is only judgment with Christ. There is salvation, forgiveness, and life. Apart from Christ, God is judge. In Christ, God is our loving Father. And we can enter his presence anytime. All of this because of the blood of Christ, his death on the cross. And that's what we come for the rest of this service to remember this morning. In the garden before his arrest, as we prepare now for the Lord's Supper, Jesus prayed, Father, if possible, take this cup from me, that cup, of course, as we've said many times in this church, the cup of God's wrath. Oftentimes we see when a cup is overturned, it is the, the outpouring of the wrath of God. He prayed, if possible, Father, take this cup from me. 
But on the cross, what does he cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, as if he has no longer father. He's estranged, in a sense, as he takes the wrath of God. Why? In our place condemned, he stood, taking God's judgment on himself. We can come, come to God because Christ died on our behalf, taking God's wrath on himself. So as we come this morning, this table is only for those for whom Christ died. Those who belong to him, those who believe in him, who desire to lead a holy life, to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. This supper is for those who are trusting in Christ for their salvation, who are members of an evangelical church. Parents with children, uh, we encourage you, we we. Allow children to the table only after they have made their public profession of faith. Uh, Many children may have already made a a private profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we ask you to to hold off from letting them partake of the Lord's Supper until they meet with elders and then make a, a public profession of faith. But for all who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who have made a profession of faith, who are members of his church, uh, this supper is for you. Let's go to our God in prayer. Father, how we thank you that you are a great and loving God. How we thank you that we indeed have no right to approach you in your majesty. And how we thank you that we have a gracious and glorious mediator who has opened the way into your presence. And so, O God, we pray that you would help us as we come to this this means of grace, that we can commune with you, that we can grow in grace, O God, as we partake of the Lord's Supper. So we give you thanks. We pray that you would use this to grow us in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.